Hey, it's uh, so good to see you here. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. If it's your very first time, uh, I want to welcome you. We're just so glad you're here. And we're going to go into our time of teaching in just a minute. Before we do just one quick announcement, uh, I just want to give you a quick update. I know so many of us are going through this study that we're doing loving people. I've been getting great uh, feedback on lives being changed and so on. But I've also had some feedback. And I just want to acknowledge that for some of you, it's taking longer than 30 minutes a day. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So um, I just want to say, mea culpa, I'm guilty. Uh, uh, that what I'm really trying to do, I'm very aware, hyper aware of this. And so when I'm writing it, I'm super aware, hoping that's not the case, praying it's not the case. But I know for some of you, it is the case. And so I just want you to know, as your pastor, I'm taking this very seriously. Uh, week four is already done. Week five is almost done. Last week, I was trying to like, reduce it as much, but I don't want to reduce the reading because I think it's so transformative. And so I'm really working hard at this to, to you know, work with you on this. So I just want you to, to know that like, if you're bitter, um, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, just kind of please forgive, forgive me. And we went to week um, eight of this series. We'll talk about forgiveness. And so that'll help you. Um, and, uh, and just patience, it's character quality, and that's what we're talking about today. Um, so I just want you to know from my heart to yours, I'm really trying to shoot for that 30-minute uh, time mark. And so as we're working it out, if you could just be patient with me, extend grace, I'm doing my best, maybe cut out an extra TV show or something, you know, just in the meantime. But I just feel like it's a, this is such an exciting journey, and so... Uh, I, I, really is a, I really have a high value on that 30-minute thing that I just don't want to cut out too much that I think will really miss this opportunity of a lifetime. So maybe we can just partner together, uh, be patient with me. I'm doing the best I can, uh, and I'm who you got. So uh, uh, anyway, anyway. <laughs> uh, if you knew all the tension I felt writing, like, I got to get this shorter, I got to get this shorter. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to go into the time of teaching. Inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. We use every week, and if you're new, though, you may not know that. So uh, if you're ready to go, uh, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, Father, we're excited to be here. It's just so good to, to be worshiping, to be celebrating together these great realities that we step into. We become part of your kingdom who you are, who we are, um, what your life, death, and resurrection means, what it did for all creation, uh, what it did for our lives. We're just excited about that. And so today as we continue this journey, uh, learning to love others as you've loved us, I pray that you would be here, that your presence and your spirit would fill the room today, that we would all be able to hear your voice and listen and follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today, it's, it's early morning, and, and we've gotten up, and we're out in the fields, it's a rural area, the sun's coming up in the distance, and in the distance, uh, we see two figures, and as we watch them, one is a young man, and the other is a younger boy, maybe like an older brother and a younger, we're not sure, but the, uh, the, younger, the, the younger boy is carrying a, a bow and a quiver of arrows, and uh, as we watch them in the distance, they, they head out to this open grassy field, still wet with the dew of the morning. And uh, with the sun coming up over the mountain in the distance, they finally stop and the, the young man turns to the young boy and he takes from him the bow and he strings the bow and then he asks for an arrow. 
And uh, he pulls the bow back to full strength and he lets it fly. And we watch the arrow as it ascends into the heavens and against the blue sky, we can see it soaring to a distant target. We can't see exactly where it lands, but we see the general area. As we wonder what's going on, it becomes clear to us that, that this man is not shooting, he's not hunting, he's not a specific target. And as we're watching, he turns to the young boy again and he asks for a second arrow. And once again, he fits it in the bowstring and he pulls it back with all of his might. And he shoots it high towards the heavens and we watch its beautiful arc as it soars through the sky and eventually lands in the general vicinity of the last one, at least where it looks like it went down. And again, we're wondering what they're doing out here so early with shooting at nothing. Finally, the young man turns and he asks for a third arrow. Once again, he fits it to the, the bowstring. Once again, with a mighty pull, he pulls it back to its full strength and he lets it fly in the general direction of the other two. And as we're watching, he turns to the young boy and there's a conversation and all of a sudden, the young boy takes off, running with all his might through the wet grass. And we're assuming he's going to retrieve the arrows and as he gets in the general vicinity of where the arrows have landed, the young man shouts out in a loud voice as he cups his hands and he says, they're a little bit further. And as the little boy turns and continues to run, little does he know that he's playing an important role in a high stakes drama of life and death. Well today, we are continuing this series that we've been in now for the last couple weeks that's called Loving People, Doing Relationships a Whole New Way. And if you're new, um, you're, just kinda, you're just checking out Rocky Peak, or you're new for the first time, we're just so glad to have you. This is a series about relationships. And what we've learned in this series is that follow, as followers of Jesus, that we know we have two top priorities in life. Our first priority is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The way I like to describe it is we love God, is loving God, kind of to, to know Him, to love Him, and to please Him. It's our top priority in life. And then out of that flows a second priority, we love others as we love ourselves. Or as Jesus said later, you would love uh, one another as I have loved you. But what we've been learning in this series is though, even as followers of Jesus, even if you're here and you're, you've made that decision to follow of Jesus, and that's our highest intention. Often when it comes to relationships, you think marriages, you think friendships, you think dating, you think work teams, you think ministry teams, you think churches, that when it comes to our relationships, we often do relationships in the same old way as before we come to Jesus. And often these ways uh, that have been modeled to us are, are dysfunctional or even destructive. So our goal in this series is to go back to the Word and to say, what does the Word teach us about what it looks like to live a life of love and to do relationships in a whole new way? Now, the topic on the table today is character, the key ingredient. And uh, this, once again, may seem like an odd place to start, but as we've learned the last couple weeks, is when it comes to loving well, what we've learned is if we want to learn to love more, if we want to grow up in love, we have to grow up as people. 
We have to grow up spiritually, we have to grow up emotionally, and we have to grow up in our core character if we want to have the capacity to love others well. And so what I want to do today is look at another one of the great relationship passages in the New Testament that teaches us how to live a life of love. Once again, we're going to put on our relationship glasses to see what does it teach us about doing relationships a whole new way. The passage is in Colossians 3. I forgot to put it in the, I, I told you we wouldn't be using our Bibles a lot in this series until we get in the next one uh, in terms of actually opening, but I, I forgot to put it in there. So if you have your Bible, you have your app, so let's open up to Colossians 3. For those who don't have your Bible because you, you trusted me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, 30 minutes. Uh, yeah, we'll have it for you in 30 minutes. No, uh, for, uh, we're going to put it on the screen, but I would suggest if you have your Bible, you have your app, let's go ahead and open up. So we're going to turn to Colossians 3. There in your note sheets, a section called Loving People, the Character of the Creator. Now, let me set this up. So this is a letter from uh, a man that we call the Apostle Paul. He's one of the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus. And he's writing to a group of Christ followers that he's never met in the ancient city of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. And in chapter 2 and in the start of chapter 3, he's talking about how when a person comes to Jesus, that when we give our life to Jesus, we go through a radical internal change. That at the core of our being, something changes. We're actually connected to Jesus by his Holy Spirit, so that we share in the results of his death and resurrection. And because we're connected, I like to describe it as we've gone online with Jesus, we have access to his resources, right? We're networked with him, so that now we have the power to die to our old life and to rise with him to the power of a new life. So we have, we have an opportunity to do our relationships a whole new way. But as we're going to see, this is not automatic. That if we are going to rise with him to this new life by the power of his spirit, we have to listen and follow the spirit. We have to put to death the old ways of relating. We have to, he's going to use the analogy of clothing. We have to take off the old clothes. We have to put on the new wardrobe sort of dress for success as a follower of Jesus, all right? So that's the background. So with that as a background, we're gonna pick it up at chapter three and verse five. We're not gonna hit every verse in this. I'm just gonna hit some of the key ones for our, um, for our study today. But in chapter three and verse five, he says, so put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your old fallen human nature. And he, he gives us some of the usual suspects that you expect in these New Testament kind of sinless uh, but these, are, remember, again, they're all violations of the law of love. That's why they're here. So he says sexual immorality, which would be defined as any sort of sex outside of uh, a relationship between one man, one woman for a lifetime of love and commitment, what we call marriage. So he says that any kind of sex outside of that is a violation of the law of love. Right? So he says, uh, so we're going to start with sexual uh, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed which is idolatry. Now skip to verse nine, or verse uh, eight rather, and he's gonna go a little bit more internal. So we've talked about some of the external obvious things, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things. These are kind of relational, uh, relational old life practices. Uh, anger, uh, get rid of that. Rage, uh, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He says, do not lie to each other, 
We're going to put off lying. Since you've taken off your old self, who you were before you came to Jesus, with its practices, and you put on this new self, this new identity, this Jesus self, catch this, which is being renewed in the image of its whom? Creator. Creator. We're going to come back to that. Now skip to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. She's going to use that clothing analogy. Clothe yourself, and he gives us five character qualities. You clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Then skip to verse 14. And over all these virtues that he's just described, put on what? Love. Love. So over everything else, we're going to put on love, which binds them all together in perfect what? Unity. So what he says is that as followers of Jesus, uh, you've come to Jesus, you've gone through a radical change on the inside, you've, you've died with Christ your old life, you've, you've risen with him to new, and so now you need to be who you are. And so as you approach relationships, you're going to need to approach them in new ways. You're going to have to put off the old attitudes, emotions, behaviors, you're going to put on the new like clothing. And he says, but we can summarize all of these virtues by love. These are all simply an illustration of what love is and what love does, all right? So that's the passage. Now, from this passage, what I want to do is I want to make three statements today, three principles about the relationship between uh, character, uh, creator, and our capacity to love, all right? The, we're going to talk about this relationship between uh, our character, our creator, and our capacity to love. And so let's jump in. There in your note sheet, you have a section, loving people, character, and capacity. And uh, the first one goes like this, that character creates capacity. And this is something that we've been talking about off and on the last couple weeks, but that, that uh, it's, it's character. If we want to have the capacity to love others well, we have to grow up. And so what we're learning here, what we see in this passage, that as Paul kind of walks what it means to be a follower of Jesus, the first thing we see that jumps out is that God's vision for our life is big. It is much bigger than we often understand. And so here at Rocky Peak, we talk about this a lot, but I know we have a lot of new people here that uh, God's vision, when a man or woman comes to Jesus, is so much bigger than we'd simply be forgiven and then wait to go to heaven when we die. That God's vision is when we come to Jesus, we'd be forgiven so that, that's the first step, we can enter into this life-changing, transformative process to where we become like the Creator again, so we have capacity to become the people we are created to be and live a life of love. And this is what Paul says. We're going to go back to 3, 9, and 10. This is one of the most important verses in my mind in the whole New Testament. He says, okay, so do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self and practices and you've put on this new self. And he says, catch this, which is what? Being renewed. Now, don't miss the verb tense. He says, which is what? Being. Being renewed. When you come to Jesus, you step into a renewal process. 
And it's an ongoing renewal process. If you are the same person today that you were five years ago and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, something is wrong. Now, as we're going to see, this process isn't automatic. Like, we don't have to put, on the, put off the old. We don't have to put on the new. That, we don't have to. And if we, we won't change. But the moment you come to Jesus, you step into a renewal process that the Holy Spirit is leading. And the only way you will not be renewed is if you resist and grieve the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're not changing, it's because you're not listening. Or you're listening, but you're not following. So uh, look what he says. He says, so that we're, which is being renewed, it's an ongoing process, but catch us in knowledge, in image of the creator. So think with me, Genesis chapter one, when we were created as a race, we were created what? In the image of God. We were created to be like him in our core character. And so when a man or woman comes to Jesus, this new revelation, this new light, this new understanding, and we start this journey of, of being enlightened of what life is about, who we're to be, and the goal is that we become like our creator again. And here's what I want you to catch. As we are renewed, we gain, we regain the capacity to love others well. Without being renewed, we don't have the capacity. For example, if you are an angry person, if you are a self-absorbed person, person, if you are a proud person, if you're a person who lacks self-control, maybe in your sexual life, your financial life, whatever area of your life, if you are a person that lacks empathy for others, you lack compassion, you lack, it's impossible to love others well. And it doesn't matter how hard you try. Like, stop and think with me. I used this analogy a couple weeks ago, but I think it's helpful, is that if we all decided that uh, we were going to go out and run a marathon, uh, that may be a noble goal, depending on your point of view. <laughs> but it doesn't matter, like, if we're out of shape, we've never run, we're 50 pounds overweight, and we decide, hey, next week we're going to go out and run a marathon, it doesn't matter how serious you are, how committed you are, you, chances are you will not succeed. And the reason is your body doesn't have the capacity to run a marathon. If you want to run a marathon, you have to put off some things and put on some things in order to gain the capacity to run a marathon. And in our life, if you don't learn to put off anger, 
and you don't put off sexual immorality, and you don't put off greed, and you don't put on compassion, and you don't put on gentleness, you don't put on humility and patience, it is impossible to love others well. Here's what I want you to catch. It is impossible to build healthy relationships with unhealthy people. It is impossible to build strong families, strong marriages, strong leadership teams, strong churches with people who have weak character. It doesn't matter how much you want it. It doesn't matter how much you pray. It doesn't matter how much you fast. It doesn't matter how many verses if you are not changed in your core character to become like your creator, no amount of religious activity will change you to have the capacity to love others well. Amen. You with me? Amen. Uh-huh. So, the, so, so, uh, so character uh, creates capacity. Right? Secondly, The second principle is that character is our key ingredient. And you say, well, the key ingredient for what? And I'd say for healthy relationships, for strong relationships. I think that most of us long for healthy relationships, right? No one gets married and say, my goal is to have a mediocre marriage. That's just my goal, just to make it through. I want to last 50 years. I want to get 50 years in these tires. Uh, and uh, if I get 50,000 miles, you know, 50 years of marriage, I'm good. I don't really care the quality. Hey, I want to have a family. My goal is that we don't kill one another, right? So if we all graduate from high school and no one commits murder, we don't kill each other, that is my goal. Hey, I want to have a really close friendship that lasts for five years and then falls apart. That's my goal uh, of five. I've never had a five-year friendship. They always fall apart much sooner than that. So I want to have five years, at least five years before I'm betrayed by a friend. That's my goal in life. Like, no one wants that, right? We all want great relationships. We all want healthy, thriving marriages. We want great uh, friendships. We want uh, great families. We want work teams that get along. We want to be part of a mini ministry team that thrives and has each other's back. We want to be part of a, a, a workplace that has clear vision and values and truly values the employees and we're pulling hard together. That's what we all want. But many times in our lives, we are not sure how to get there. And often, as we look at relationships that really thrive, there's somewhat of a mystery to us. Like, that's what I want, but how do I get there? And I think often we tend to assume that great relationships are the result of either natural chemistry or great communication. So we see a couple that really gets along well. Well, they, you know, of course, you know, they just, uh, we see a life group that gets great. Well, they're just, the, they're just the right people. You know, it's just the right chemistry in that. We see a work team like that. 
Uh, or we, we say like, hey, well, you know, this is what they've really worked through, communication, and they, they, they share their needs, and they communicate really well. And I want you to catch this. I think chemistry and uh, communication are both parts of healthy relationships often. But what I want to suggest is that the most important key ingredient in any great relationship is not chemistry and it's not communication it is character and all you have to do to see this bear this out in your own life is I want you to think back to a relationship that you've had in the past that started really great it was great there was great chemistry whether it was romantic relationship or friendship or life group or a leadership team or a church, I want you to think back to a time when there was, there was great chemistry and there was great communication. Everyone got along and everyone was so excited. You, know, you started this new job and everyone was so excited to have you on the team and they were just excited that you were there and it was like hitting on all cylinders, and then you look back, whether it's a marriage or a family or a friendship or a team, whatever, and it blew up. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands. <laughs> but I would assume in most of our lives, we could relate to that, a relationship that was once great that blew up. We were once excited about that derailed, that we once loved and now we look back with just heartache and regret. And here's what I would suggest. If you go back and do an autopsy on that relationship, that yeah, there may be some chemistry issues, there may be some communication, but I'd be willing to bet in nine, chance, nine times out of 10 that what happened is on one side or other of the relationship, there was a significant character issue that someone lied, someone brought deception into the relationship, someone betrayed a trust, someone broke a commitment, someone didn't keep a vow, uh, someone became very self-centered, someone became very narcissistic, there was a lack of sensitivity, a lack of compassion, there was a pride and an arrogance, that if you chase it back and you say, what went wrong, it's usually not communication, that's a secondary issue. It's usually not chemistry, it is character. That that thing blew up because of a character issue on one or both Sides. And as I said before, this is why it's impossible to build strong relationships with weak character. And I tell you, this happens in marriages all the time. Couples go for therapy to try to solve a marriage issue, and they it's treated as a communication issue. Can I tell you something? If there is selfishness and pride and greed in a marriage and there is a lack of self-control, there's anger issues in a marriage, that it doesn't help to be clear about them. <laughs> okay, I get it. It's so clear. You are a jerk. You know, 
Like we understand one another. It's not about you. It's about me. Okay, great. We are communicating clearly, right? So communication is important, but character is vital. If character is there, then you can build, you can communicate. You can learn how to communicate. But if character isn't there, communication is likely to make things worse, not better. Before, I just thought you were greedy. Now I know for sure, all right? <laughs> so look what Stephen Covey says. Uh, we're going to be reading an article from him in uh, week five. But uh, he says, the most important ingredient that we put into any relationship is not what we say or what we do, but what we are. It is futile to put personality, think chemistry, personality ahead of character to try to improve relationships with others before improving ourselves. So character is key. The third, and this is really good news, the third point is that character is a choice. And this is the good news that Paul is sharing with us, especially as followers of Jesus, that as followers of Jesus, people that have been united with Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, we now have the power to choose. That we have the power to, to die to the old, to rise with Christ the new. We have the power to take off the old and put on the new. But it's vital that we do. It is a choice. It's not automatic. This is why you can meet some believers that have been Christians for 20 years and they're just as harsh or just as insensitive or just as proud or more than they were 20, 30 years, you know, 20 years ago because they have not put off and put on. And oftentimes it's because we have not taught well what maturity looks like. And so we're target practicing at the wrong targets. I like to think of our character as a large stone wall that surrounds a city. You remember in ancient times, you know, think city of Rome or major cities, they would have these huge walls that would surround the entire city to protect the city from attack. I like to think of our character as the stone wall that protects our lives and relationships. And every time we make a right character choice, we choose to put off the old and put on the new, it's like we add another stone to our wall. But on the other side, every time we compromise our character, every time we tell a lie, every time we break a commitment, every time we don't live out our values, Every time we give in to anger or sexual temptation, every time we choose greed over generosity, it's like taking a, a, a big rock out of our wall and reducing the protection of our relationships. And of course, sometimes these character decisions are smaller decisions, so think smaller rock. Other times they are huge. There are certain character decisions that are so big that if we make the wrong decision, it leaves a breach in our wall that allows the enemy to come in and destroy our relationships, our lives and relationships. 
There in your note sheet, just a couple quotes really helpful. First from John Maxwell. He says, we do choose our character. In fact, we create it every time we make our choices to cop out or dig out of a hard situation, to bend the truth or stand under the weight of it, to take the easy money or pay the price. As you live your life and make choices today, you are continuing to create your character. See, character isn't a mystery. Character is a choice. Like, why do some people, they're people of character and other people not? It's not some mysterious uh, mysterious elixir that they were given at birth. It's a result of choices that they've made over a series of time. Oswald Chambers, one of my favorite writers, says, no man is born with character. We make our own character. And we make it by the choices we make. And so, so catch this. So step back now from these three principles. Paul says, when a man or woman comes to Jesus, something happens supernatural. You are connected with Jesus by the power of his spirit. You go online with him, so you share in the results of his death and resurrection. So as followers of Jesus now with the Holy Spirit, that we have the power to change. We have the power to take off the old and put on the new and to be renewed in our character, become like our creator. And as we're renewed, we create the capacity to live a life of love and do relationships a whole new way. Now, what I want to do in the time that we have left is I want to give you three examples I want to give you three examples of character of our creator. Because this is the whole goal, that we would be renewed to become like our creator. So I want to give you three examples of core character qualities of our creator that God wants to work in our lives, that if we develop these core character qualities and we are renewed, that it will go a long way towards healing our relationships. Now, we don't have time to talk about 22 character qualities, so I'm just focusing on three, what I believe three are three of the most important, okay, for being renewed in the character of our creator. So there in your note sheet, you have loving people, three character qualities. For the first, the first character quality is integrity. So when you stop and think about it, this is one of the marks of our creator. One of the marks of our creator is his integrity. Stop and think with me. He always tells the truth. He always keeps his commitments and his promises. And he always lives out his values. And because of that, we can trust him. And it's the same in our relationships with others. That, tr that integrity is the key, and I want you to catch this, integrity is the key to trust. And trust is the currency of relationships. Amen. Integrity is the key to trust. Trust is the currency. It is the glue. It's the foundation. When trust goes out of a relationship, that relationship is on its, it's going on, it's on uh, life support. The moment trust goes out of a relationship, 
that that relationship begins to die. And so integrity is the key to trust. Now, integrity takes in a lot of different angles. We don't have time for all of them, but let me share three, three marks of integrity, three marks of a person with high integrity. The first mark would be truth-telling that one of the marks of a person with integrity is they tell the truth and catches, they don't just tell the truth when it's easy, they tell the truth always, even when it causes, when it leads to trouble. And we'll come back to that. It's interesting because this is the very first character quality that Paul lists in terms of being recreated to be like our creator. There in your, uh, no, this yeah, it's on your note sheet. It says, uh, do not lie to each other. So there's the integrity thing, truth telling. Do not lie because you've taken off your old self with its practices. You put on the new self, which is what? Being renewed in knowledge and image of the creator. So the very first example that Paul says in terms of being renewed is that we would stop lying to one another that we would be truth tellers. So the question for you is, as you think through your own life, the question for you is, do you tell the truth even when it leads to trouble? So the question is not, do you tell the truth most of the time? Most people tell truth most of the time, and that really doesn't tell us much about integrity. Like what, what, what tells us something about a person's integrity is when they tell the truth and it's going to cost them. It's going to get them into trouble. A quote there from Cheryl Beale, author Cheryl Beale. She says, one of the realities of life is that if you can't trust a person at all points, you can't trust him or her at any point. Right? And so would people around you say, hey, when, when, when he, when she sense something, it never crosses my mind. Are they shading the truth? Are they distorting the truth? Are they, that would never, like in a million years. If you have that reputation, then what it does is it allows people to trust you, and trust leads to good relationship. Uh, the second aspect of integrity, this is not number two on your sheet, I'm just giving you three, kind of think of it like a triangle, three sides of integrity is one of the marks of a person of integrity is they're able to make and keep their commitments. They're able to make and keep commitments and catch this even when the cost goes up. So let me give you an example. Today we started the day with a story on this young man and a boy walking through a field and beginning to launch arrows, three arrows, one at a time, in the distance, and the boy running through the, the early morning uh, heavy-dude grass to, it, to retrieve these, and, and the, the young man calling out, saying, go further. Some of you will recognize this account. This is an account from the life of David, the friendship between David and Jonathan. Very famous friendship. We'll come back to it for, some, for another reason in a few weeks. But uh, when they first became friends, they became friends young in life as young men, uh, right after David had killed Goliath. 
and they entered into a formal covenant of friendship. So this would be like in modern day, you think of like two boys cutting their cutting themselves and then like mixing their blood, we're, bro- we're, we're blood brothers. It's kind of, a, it's a formal commitment of friendships, of loyalty. I'm going to be your friend. I'm a, I've got your back. And so what's interesting is that they made this commitment, but the cost of that commitment was going to go up majorly for Jonathan. Because as David becomes more and more popular, more and more famous, Jonathan's father, King Saul, becomes more and more jealous and paranoid that David will take his throne and keep Jonathan from ascending to the throne as the crown prince. And so he begins to, uh, over several years, tries to take David out. He tries to kill him. And so Jonathan has to decide whether to side with his dad, which would be protecting Jonathan's own future as the crown prince, or to side with his friend and to keep his commitment of friendship even though the cost of that has now gone up. He's going to actually risk his life in order to keep this commitment. And the beautiful thing is, is that Jonathan makes the right decision, which is why their friendship could go on. And he makes the right decision that he will keep his commitment to his friend. And so in this scene that we painted, that I painted earlier, that uh, David and Jonathan, it was a time when David was pretty convinced King Saul was out to kill him again. Jonathan didn't think so. He said, well, listen, why don't you go find out and then come and let me know. And so they'd set up this secret communication of this kind of shooting the arrows thing. And the key was not the arrows, but the key was what he said to the boy. That as the boy went to look for the arrows, if he said, hey, you've gone too far, they're this, come back, that meant David was safe. If he said, hey, they're further on, keep going, that meant your life is in danger, run for your life. But the point of this, the reason I bring this up is because this is a great illustration of what it means to make a commitment and keep a commitment when the cost of the commitment goes up. And so the question for you would be, are you a person that you not only know how to make a commitment or a promise, you know how to keep a commitment even when the cost of commitment goes up and the price tag is higher than you expected when you paid it. You know? So many people make a commitment. Hey, and it could be in everything from a little thing. I'll come to that party or uh, you know, I'll be in a, a life group and I'll show up to a major thing like a marriage, right? And, and it's like, well, well, I never would have made that commitment if I'd known that this really cool show is going to come on Wednesday nights, you know? Like, well, I would, hey, I would not go to your lousy stinking party if I'd known the Rams were in the Super Bowl, you know? So, uh, so oftentimes in life, it's how we, do, we make a commitment. And what we mean is, if nothing better comes along, then I will go to your thing. I'll help you move. I will be by your side. I will be your friend. Unless things change. And if I get a better offer, or it costs me more than I realize, then, of course, I'm out. And what that does is it sets our relationships up. We cannot trust one another when there's that kind of relationship, and we hold back from one another. Uh, the third aspect of integrity, and the next two will go faster, but I want to spend longer integrity is that a third aspect is a person of integrity lives out his or her values, catch this, consistently. 
Um, a person of integrity, they, they can, and, and of course, this is what we see in our creator, that in the, in the word, uh, the Lord lays out his values to us of justice and, and love and purity and truth, and he lays these out and he lives them out consistently. And so you think of the New Testament where we're told of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, he's the God who doesn't change. And so uh, a third aspect of integrity is, are you a person who lives out your values consistently? So as followers of Jesus, we have values, don't we? We just read many of them in Colossians chapter three. And so are you a person that live out your values consistently, or do you pick and choose which values you live out when it's convenient? So to you, our values about, our values about consistency or our values about convenience? And here's the thing, if I'm in relationship with you, and I trust you as a follower of Jesus, and I'm convinced that you are gonna live out your values as a follower of Jesus, I'm able to enter into deep relationship with you. But if not, I never know where you're going to go or, or what, what you're gonna do in a situation. That's gonna cause me to hold back from entering into a deeper relationship with you. I love the way that John Maxwell and Jim Dornan put it in their book about becoming a person of influence. The bottom line when it comes to integrity is that it allows others to trust you. And without trust, you have zip. Trust is the single most important factor in personal and professional relationships. It is the glue that holds people together. So here's what I want you to catch. Hey, you say, I'm all fired up. I want to learn how to live a life of love. Um, I want to do relationships a whole new way. Okay, so the question is, well, are you committed to putting off the old and putting on the new in the area of integrity? Because if you're not, you're wasting your time. Love is not like up here, some feeling in a cloud. Next week, uh, the message is called True Love, What Is It? And we'll get it, but love is not sort of some warm, fuzzy feeling. Love is a commitment that I will seek your good. I am on your team. I will seek your best interest. Love is a commitment to seek someone's best interest. And without integrity, there is no love. Number two, the second the second uh, character quality we see in the creator that's so important for us to grow in if we want to build a life of love is courage. And this is an interesting one because uh, you don't see that in this list that Paul gives today, but you see it throughout the Bible. You see it in the, God's leaders, God's people. You see it in Jesus uh, one of the things I love most about Jesus, and remember the whole point of spiritual maturity is to be renewed, to be like Jesus, right? He's our model of the perfect humanity, right, in all ways. And so, uh, so if you look at the life of Jesus, one of the character qualities that I appreciate the most, I'm drawn to, is his character, uh, 
uh, character quality of courage. That Jesus was a man of courage. He did not care what you thought of him. He did not care what the consequences were. He was going to do the right thing. And it was his courage that empowered him to not only stand up to the, the religious and political figures of his day, and not only allowed him to stand up to the crowds who often had a different design for him, but it was his love, catch it, allowed him to stand up to his closest family and friends when they wanted to derail him from what his father called in his life. And so Jesus lived a life of courage, and this allowed him to live a life of love. And of course, his greatest act of courage, we see going to the cross, which was the greatest act of love. I love what Tim Keller writes about this there in the notes. He said, only Christianity says that one of the attributes of God is courage. No other religion has a God who needed courage. <laughs> To come to earth, uh, to live with us, knowing that that would end in an execution, that takes courage. And here's what I want you to catch, and I don't want you to miss this. As we go through this series, that if we want to live a life of love, courage is one of the most important character qualities we need to grow in. Remember, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage, courage is acting in the face of fear. Can I tell you, as we go through this series, last week we talked about authenticity. You tell me, does it take courage to become radically honest with yourself about what you're thinking, feeling, your path? It takes courage, doesn't it? Today, we're talking about integrity. Does it take courage to always tell the truth, even when it costs you? Does it take courage to live out your values consistently? Does it take, see, I mean, every step along the line, when it comes to integrity, courage is huge. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about vulnerability. Does it take courage to open up and share your story, your journey, your, your, your heart with another be human being? Amen. Yes, but without it, there can be no intimacy. Because honesty is the key to intimacy. Amen. And that takes courage. Um, how about this? Does it take courage to make your own choices in life and not let others control you? What your mother thinks? What your spouse thinks? What your kids think? What your friends think, what your coworkers, does it take courage to say, I appreciate your opinion, but I don't believe that's what God is calling me to do. Thank you very much. Does that take courage? Hey, let me ask you this. Does it take courage to give others their freedom? Does it give courage to say, this is not what I would choose for you, but I respect you and I know that it's your right to choose your own path, even if it's the wrong one. And so I will let you leave me for college. <laughs> I tell you, some one of the saddest days of my life is when my daughter, first daughter got married, 19 years old. And I'm like, she's leaving me. 
for that young man in the back of that limo. This does not look right, you know? <laughs> she was only 19, so anyway. But I got married at 19, so I had nothing to say. Anyway, uh, <laughs> hey, does it take courage to love your enemies? Does it take courage to love your enemies when they hate you back? Yeah, you cannot live a life of love without courage. And so if we're going to live a life of love, we've got to learn to put off fear and put on courage. Number three, the third character quality that we see in the creator that's so critical for us for loving well is humility. Remember what we learned in our last series in the gospel, that humility is not necessarily, sometimes it is, but it's not necessarily thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. It's about putting others first. And we see this, we see uh, a God of humility. The God we worship is a God of humility because this is a God who though, as we saw in Philippians 2, though he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. But he humbled himself and became one of us, a slave, and then he died for us. There is no greater act of humility than for God to become, for the creator to become part of the creation and then to suffer and die to rescue that creation. And for us, if we are going to live a life of love, we have to grow in our humility. Paul mentions this character quality in chapter three, verse 12 on your note sheet. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience, And of course, all five of those are so important, but I think humility is one of the most important because humility is what allows us, catch us, to see past our needs, to recognize the needs of others, and to develop the empathy to enter into their lives with compassion and gentleness and kindness and patience so that we can love them well. Without humility, we are so self-absorbed with our own needs that we can't even see the needs of others, let alone meet the needs of others. And so look what Paul says in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in what? In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others, In your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, in the Greek, a slave, and being made in human likeness, and and then being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself even more, becoming obedient to this brutal death, even death on a cross, right? And so what we see in Jesus washing our feet, what we see him going to the cross is that without humility, it's impossible to live a life of love. And so we see today 
is that if we want to grow up, grow in our love, we have to grow up. We have to grow up spiritually, we have to grow up emotionally, and we have to grow up in our core character, being renewed in the image of our creator so that we have the capacity to love others well. And so this is a lifelong journey. We can describe this process in 50 minutes. But to change is a lifelong journey of every day listening and following the Holy Spirit, putting off the old, putting on the new, as one stone at a time goes into the wall of our character to protect our relationships so that within that city, we can live a life and build a community, a city of love that's a light on the hill. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Mm. Father, we are so thankful for your word, the beauty of your word that spells out the realities that we have become part of as sons and daughters of the King. And so, Lord, we pray that as a church, as people, that we would listen and follow and that we would realize that unless we change in character, that we might as well hang it up in terms of growing in love because it's impossible to build strong relationships with weak character. And so we pray as we continue now in worship, as we bring you our tithes, our gifts, our offerings, may you use these to expand your kingdom and to teach us all how to live a life of love that others can come and be healed and restored and find the purpose for which they were created. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Would you stand with me? Did you hear the words of that song? The king of my heart, that you will never let me down. Why? Because you are a God of integrity. Because you always tell the truth. You always keep your commitments. You always live out your values. You are just flat out good. And you are good in the deepest sense of the word. There's not one evil, bad thing about you. There's never one evil thought. There's never anything you've done that's not good. You are absolutely good. And because you are good, I can trust you. And here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus didn't just come to forgive us. He came to make us good. So that we would be men and women that others can trust. Men and women of truth and integrity that keep our commitments, that live our values. Men and women of courage that stand up for what's right and true and good. And men and women of humility that think not about ourselves, but about others and about how we can live a life of love. He did not just come so that he could be good. He came to make us good. Amen? May the Lord be with you this week, next week. True love, what's it look like? Looking forward to it. Be merciful with me as your pastor. Be truly good. Be humble. Give me grace. <laughs> Invest in what God is doing. Lives are being changed. Yeah. 
Be open to what God is doing. If you need prayer afterwards, you know where to get it, right side over here. God bless you, I love you, and I'll work on making them shorter, amen. Uh, <laughs>